You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hey, everyone. I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome to TFM's local books and comic show here for Star Trek. I'm so excited to be here. I'm just one of your hosts, Matthew Rushing, and always glad to have back with me, Bruce Gibson. Hey, hey, hey. it's always great to be back. It's always great to talk about Star Trek books, right? It's true. It's true. And you know what I'm really excited about is that one of our associate producers here, Casey Petit, is actually going to be joining us not only for the news, but to talk about the book we're going to cover, Recovery. So welcome, Casey. Thank you. <laughs> it's good to be here. And also, not to get us off on the wrong track, <laughs> my last name is actually pronounced Pettit. So like you do with a cat or dog. Pet it. I Pet it, see. Yes. No. I'm, you know, I'm so glad. It's okay. I mean, after like 150 episodes, we're finally <laughs> so, going to say it right. That's so, okay. Thank you so I've, much. I've heard it so many ways. That's <laughs> I I can understand that. I can my my wife's name is Danae and like people never say it right. So no. <laughs> I get it completely. Just something we all have to live with, I guess. It's true. It's true. I mean, at least your parents didn't name you something like Apple or something. Yeah, you know, it's true. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm excited to have you here, Casey. Obviously, you're a huge fan of Star Trek books, and you know you've been supporting the network and the show for the longest time. And um, you know, this uh, I'm excited to have you here uh, uh, for this episode and. Uh, in the future, if if you enjoy it, you know, I hope you'll want to come back. But uh, we have some big news this week, and mainly it's that the end is near, and it's begun. Uh, begun the Clone Wars. Have. No, no, I mean begun the Coda has. Uh, yeah, Dayton Ward kicks off Coda today as we're recording this. It's dropped, and uh, have you guys already started reading? no uh, but i'm no. like getting ready to yeah <laughs> yeah i'm i'm right there with you bruce so i've uh i've got the book um i've actually got it two ways um i've got it digitally and uh, uh an actual it's not hardcover but I've, I've got the physical copy as well and yeah i'm i'm chomping at the bit to get to it um but I had to finish this book first, and I'm trying to finish kind of another book before uh, Dayton is on next week, and I interview him. So it's like uh, trying to tr- squeeze into a tree. I, I, are you guys looking forward to this? Are you feeling sad? How, I mean, Casey, how are you feeling knowing that the end is coming? It's weird. I, I'm still so far behind on my reading list. I, I mean, I've listed all the literary tracks, obviously, so I've, I'm... I'm fine listening to spoilers and hearing all the things you guys have talked about on the, on these episodes. So I kind of know everything that's happened, you know, with the fall and 
um, everything after that even. Um, so I, I'm excited for it, um, especially since, yeah, it's it's kind of the end of what more than 10 years of, of uh, Star Trek books. And uh, but it's also a little bit sad, but I'm, I'm glad to see them doing something to resolve it and not just kind of sweeping everything under the rug and moving on as if all of these stories haven't mm-hmm. happened giving yeah. giving closure to everything that that everyone's been spending so much time reading up till now yeah i'm just i'm really stoked i mean i'm not really that upset that it's ending i mean sure this continuity i'd like to see continue but i'm just so excited to see how they're going to approach this how they're going to address everything in these three books how this will connect to the continuity we're getting in star trek picard I'm just very curious to see how they're going to handle it. And to your point, Casey, yeah, it's not like they're just like, oh, yeah, well, that was some other timeline. We've just like switched over to this other like they're going to tie all this together. And I keep seeing things that the authors keep mentioning about the end is the beginning and things like that. So I'm curious to see how this plays out. Going to get timey-wimey for sure. Yes. Yeah, I I do think it's going to get a little wibbly-wobbly. Uh, and I'm excited for it, though, you know. And, and I think the, the excitement that I have comes from the fact that, you know, this is a labor of love for everyone involved and that they're clearly doing this because they care about the fans. You know, Bruce, you and I talked about that, I think, uh, last time as well. And so, yeah, I mean, Coda is out. Make sure you get your copy. Um, Make sure that you're, uh, you know, uh, buying the book, getting it read. Um, We're having Dayton on next week. And, uh, you know, so uh, we're going to have two literary treks close together here. But we wanted to make sure that, um, you know, you got to hear the authors as soon as possible um, with with this series, um, you know, there, there's there's no reason to wait when it comes to this. And so I, I know, you know, I've already been on Trek BBS and seeing people, you know, just like pouring through the book as, as quickly as possible. So, yeah, I can't wait. But um, yeah, that's what we've got in news. We're going to look at uh, Star Trek Mirror Zero uh, next week um, during the news. So, so Bruce and I will get together and talk about that uh, for the news before the interview. But um, right now, maybe it's time for a little recovery. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I work out the arm there, you know, and feeling a little sore. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, I'm excited, guys, uh, because and, and Bruce, we've been through the series now. I mean, this is the end of the Lost Years series. Uh, officially um, with Star Trek Recovery. And I wanted to, uh, before we kind of even got into kind of talking about some of the other things, you know, um, I'm wondering, Casey, uh, Bruce, how are you feeling kind of coming into this book? Uh, You know, have you been enjoying the series so far? And is this something that um, you're like, were you just ready for it to be over at this point, or were you actually excited to get to this one? You mean they should have come out with the Lost Years Coda series for this, maybe? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, um, yeah, I guess I'm kind of glad that this was the last book. I mean, I somewhat enjoyed the Lost Years, but anybody who's listened to the past episodes may have heard that this was kind of what got me into reading Star Trek novels when the first one came out back in, I think, 91. And 
I even read this when it first came out. I think that was 95. And I just remember at the time, I was starting to really get into the Star Trek novels, but as each one came out, I was just like, just not feeling like these were as good as the others. But I was actually surprised because I didn't remember much about this one, but I was actually a little surprised that I liked this better than I thought. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that was like, what, 25 years ago when I read it? So, yeah. Yeah. Or 26 years ago. It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah, I think I read these back in probably the early 2000s when I was in college. Uh, I didn't read the other ones as you guys talked about them, but obviously I read it, read Recovery for this time. And I did remember, um, I I felt very similar to you guys. Like the first one started off pretty good. And then um, with Trader Winds and A Flag Full of Stars, they kind of just kind of felt like any old Star Trek novel to me. Didn't really feel like they necessarily belonged in the lost years or I don't know. I, I just kind of got a, a little tired of them. Um, and then I do remember before, and then even this time reading this one, I, I enjoyed it a lot more. And maybe it's just because of the author being the same one that wrote the initial one. And, you know, she was kind of the one that came up with the idea for it and it seemed like this one, closed off or this one was actually just kind of a good sequel i guess to the lost mm-hmm. years and um a good setup i guess for the for the motion picture i think that i think that's a good point i, I like you saying that casey because this is something I, I was you know i was struck by getting to this book and you know reading it and um i i i like it uh, in that sense like i thought that this was um, and I was excited to get to it because, like you said, the, the fact that the author's the same, uh, you know, how would they finish up the series? Would it feel like bookends? And and that's the thing coming into it. I, I feel like it really does. You know, I, I feel like she kind of follows up on some threads that got lost with other authors, you know, and, and kind of pulls those through, which is great. And, um, you know, I, I really I think more than anything, I just wanted the uh, the series to finish strong. Because um, I didn't feel like um, I, I did. I haven't really felt like it. It's been as strong as it could have been, and part of that I think was um, just too many. Um, there were too many authors <laughs> that didn't really pay attention to what the other author was doing, and uh, I would have. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, this isn't the the type of thing that um the, the authors were really working together um you know and the way that they do now i mean obviously the way that you know you've got Dayton and um James David and, James. and Dave, you know David we're all working together right now uh so i i think that that's something that uh, i'm just i'm glad that we we got what we got here he, and um i'm definitely ex- excited to dive into this one and, and Part of the big continuation for the series is Kirk. You know, this 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 series has really kind of been about him and his struggles, um, and the fact that you know he becomes an admiral and it's not really what he wants. And we really dive into that this book. And so, how do you guys feel about um, the way you know Kirk's lost his marriage? He's lost the Enterprise. He's lost all of his friends, basically. And he's feeling really adrift in a lot of ways. And so um, 
how did you feel about the portrayal here of of Kirk himself and, and kind of where he is at the moment? I thought it was really good. Uh, J.M. Dillard did the first Lost Years book, and I thought she did a pretty good job setting up where we're going on the Lost Years and why Kirk was taken away from the Enterprise and how he accepted the position of Admiral, even though he didn't really want it, but he was promised, oh, he'll have all these adventures, he'd have all this responsibility, and that just, over time, just didn't prove to be true. So I actually liked how she handled this book a little better than she did the first book, and it was good to see Kirk realizing that the promises aren't all coming true. And yes, uh, you know, then he starts to realize that he has an opportunity that he can pull back because even Nagora was saying, yeah, I know I promises. I know I'm not coming through with all that. I know you're probably getting restless. And Kirk sees that weakness like, hey, I've got a chance that I can pull some strings here. I can maybe get back on a starship. And that's what kind of led to this because Nagora knows that he's just kind of itching for something. So he gives them this assignment about this new ship that they're going to trial. And it's not doesn't seem like it's going to be a big deal to Kirk, but it's at least going to get him out into space. And of course, you put Kirk out into space, something's going to happen, some adventure. But he's not expecting that at first. Yeah, I mean, even in his early conversations with Nagoro, and he's, you know, saying that you haven't given me what you've promised me, I've you know, accepted the promotion to admiral and i didn't get what i wanted even still and you know nagura's gonna send him on this mission like you said nagura's continuing to promise him like oh and there'll be more after this but i mean if you're in kirk's shoes you got to be thinking like it hasn't come to be yet and just because you're sending me into space on this mission doesn't mean there's going to be more later and i think all it did for kirk even was just get him to realize even more that that's where he belonged um, i think it even mentioned I don't remember if it was about Kirk or if it was even maybe about Riley, um, about being the best destiny, about being in space. And we've heard that come up in several novels before, including one called Best Destiny. <laughs> and, um, as, you know, as far as the portrayal of Kirk, too, I, I thought, if I remember correctly, I believe that this book came out after Generations, or at least very close to and I really got the vibe from that. I felt like this Kirk was a very good uh, kind of mixture of the um, opening scenes of the motion picture Kirk versus the Kirk that we see in the Nexus in Generations. Just kind of, um, well, I guess the one in the Nexus was kind of the, he was tired of doing his bit for King and Country, but uh, at least in his advice to Picard about don't let them promote you, don't let them do anything to get you off the bridge of that ship. I feel like that's what Kirk figures out, you know, during this whole mission on the recovery is that this actually, like he was born to be in space basically. And I felt like that just came across very well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, in a minute, Spock, you know, is, is I think the one, in many ways, who's dealing with what his best destiny is, um, and and his struggle, but you know, obviously, Kirk here is de- dealing with what his best destiny is, and we all know that his best destiny is to be a starship captain. Like, it, and because of like exactly what you said, Casey, what he says in Generations, which I think this really does. I love the way that this plays with with all of that, and it makes sense. Um, you know. I really think that 
Dillard makes good on the promise that she made in the first book to really deal with the ramifications of Kirk and the discontentment of being out of action and being basically a pencil pusher. Uh, and that's just not him. And 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 I think we've seen in his diplomatic missions that he had in that book as well as this, like he's best in situations where he's being put to the test. You know, like that's his gift. <laughs> so let him use it. Um, and and I think on top of that, it was really interesting because this book subtly also shows the reason which Kirk, Spock, and McCoy all belong together as well. Um, they're mirrored with the Tholians, you know, um, that we learned a lot about, but the idea of triads and trinities, you know, they are the holy trinity of Star Trek for a reason, and it's because they belong together because each one makes the other better. And I loved, I mean, and we'll talk about the other two, but I... You know, Kirk dealing with the ramifications of not having Spock and feeling estranged from McCoy uh, is, he's a lesser person for that, you know? And I think one of the things I really love about the book is that we get to deal with how important friendships are in our lives. You know, Kirk and Spock and McCoy have always been a, a source of, I think, inspiration for what good friendships are. And I think this book does a fantastic job of showing us what happens when we lack those friendships or those friendships are in a a rocky place, you know. And and so I, I really appreciated that because, you know, sadly, Kirk's marriage being lost or whatever doesn't feel like the biggest deal here. Um, and mainly that's because the other two authors really didn't focus on it enough at all to 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 make it something that we would mourn the loss of. What we do mourn the loss of is is the fact that he's not in the Enterprise and that he doesn't have his two best friends by his side. Um, and I think that that works really, really well in the book. And not only that, but I loved how McCoy was handled in the fact that when he could reunite with Kirk, he didn't want to. He felt uncomfortable about it because when he was fighting with Nagora earlier, a couple years earlier about, you know, Kirk shouldn't be here. He should be on a ship and this is wrong. So there was a little divide in their relationship for a while. And to the point that when McCoy has a chance to go talk to Kirk, he's kind of shying away from it. He's like, eh, I don't know if I really want him to know I'm here. And it feels a little awkward. And, you know, we've all had situations like that where, you know, somebody we used to be close with years go by, and then you feel a little awkward maybe saying something to them or reaching out to them or whatever. And I like that because it wasn't just McCoy just running up to Kirk. It was like the relationship had to come back together, had to be earned throughout the story. And I, and I really liked how that played out. And then when Kirk finally sees McCoy on the view screen and vice versa, you know, you could just feel that Kirk is just like relieved, like, yes, I need this moment. You know, I need seeing McCoy in there just mm -hmm. gives me that confidence to do what I need to do. Cause I know I've got somebody over on that ship that can handle things and I'm not alone in this. Mm -hmm. And similar with Spock even, I mean, he, he, 
he gets to work with Sonak quite a bit in this one. And it's almost like every time he looks back, he's expecting to see Spock, but it's Sonak. And there's a lot of times that he's comparing the two of them. And um, I, I did like, though, that Kirk gave Sonak a chance. He, he didn't just say, well, you're not Spock. I can't, you know, like, I, you know, I need Spock here. It was just, I don't have Spock. I've got Sonak. And he made the best of it. But it was Spock was always in the back of his mind. Um, and I don't know. I felt like I could see the, the progression from, you know, he didn't even really get to say goodbye to Spock. It sounds like when Spock mm-hmm. went to go um, start working on Kulinar. And um, so you could see at the beginning of the motion picture when, when Sonak ends up, you know, getting scraped off the transporter room floor that yeah. he, uh, <laughs> um, you know, he, he still says, I still want a Vulcan at the science station, you know, and I think it's even because now he's had a couple of them that he's worked mm-hmm. with and he's trusted and, you know, he knows he can rely on them. And, and I think even just personally for him, he needs somebody with that cool head to help, you know, manage those stressful situations that Kirk always finds himself in. But when he wants Sonak there, and then when Sonak dies in the mission picture and he wants a Vulcan there, I mean, we all know what he's really asking is, I want Spock there. If I can't have Spock, I have to have something close to Spock. I have something, something there that has to remind me of Spock. And I like that Sonak was in this and how he was worked into this and how that relationship was built between Kirk and Sonak in this mission leading to the motion picture that he wasn't just some Vulcan. He pulled off the street and said, Hey, you come on the ship with me. You know, (laughs) I love that. Not some Vulcan just pulled off the street. No, 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 not, not that. Uh, No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the fact that they, they built into that real, and that relationship because we're right at the motion picture and it gives us the reason for why Sonak is the Vulcan that, has been chosen is fantastic. I mean, and you know, it helps you see that, uh, Kirk is also not above teaching another Vulcan, the ways of Starfleet, you know, and helping that Vulcan grow, you know, I mean, I loved the fact that he really does help Sonak grow and kind of understand what it means to be a Starfleet officer as well as a Vulcan in Starfleet and, and kind of learn some of those lessons that Spock had been learning himself as well. So I, I think it, it really did work. And, and speaking of Spock, it was very interesting, his role in this book, because there's a lot of discontent with that character in this book. And he's not feeling very comfortable um, as he's trying to achieve Kolinar. And the biggest problem for him is, well, it's it's not his family. It's his friends. And letting go of them is proving to be much more difficult than he had originally anticipated. But he thinks he can let go eventually. Right. You know? Which I think is incredible because in this book, he keeps feeling this pull from Kirk and McCoy. And can he give up his emotions? Can he go through Kolinar knowing that they're there and he can sense something? And then when the story resolves itself and they're fine, he feels like he's ready to give in to Kolinar. But then as we see in the motion picture, 
that's not the case because then the call of V'ger comes and the call to adventure. And it's like, it's no. And then he realizes it's just not the right thing. I loved how Spock was worked in this. I mean, he's not a big part of this novel. We just touch on him occasionally. But it this novel does a really good job setting up the motion picture. That's what I really liked about it. Yeah, I agree. Like the, the scenes with him uh, kind of feeling the the danger that Kirk and McCoy were in were very reminiscent of what we saw in the motion picture with his contact with V'ger. And like, so every time I saw that, that's what I felt like is we're setting that up, but we're also kind of just, we're showing that that's not, that's not just a one-time event, I guess, with, with him, mm-hmm. you know, finding V'ger. Um, but then I'm, I'm glad too, that his, his, I don't want to say worry. That's that's a human emotion, but his concern really for Kirk and Spock or Kirk and McCoy um, included McCoy. That it wasn't just for Kirk. He was obviously closest with Kirk. Spock and Kirk were closer, I think, than Spock and McCoy were to some extent. But to have him be feeling the danger that McCoy is in was good to see because it showed that they really did have that connection to the two of them. Yeah, because I think, and I know Casey, you said it's been a while, but I think wasn't it the uh, first last year's novel that Spock and McCoy came to realize that they had a closer friendship than they realized that they had had. And so I think there's a closeness that, uh, that Spock has with McCoy that I don't think he ever really realized before. Yeah. I think like both of you have said, one of the, the beauties of this is that, you know, Spock is kind of tangential to the rest of the story and mainly because of where um, he is in relation to where these characters are, you know, I mean, he is on Vulcan and, and yet um, I, I think what I also appreciated about what they do with Spock is that we see his connection to his friends, but also to kind of the outside world emotionally. And that helped me uh, you know understand him feeling V'ger on Vulcan that made much more sense I think now uh, in in light of this so I thought that was really good as well um, so the other uh, and I would say the biggest part of this story because it's the impetus for everything is the creation of this ship it is called the recovery and it is meant to be basically a self-sustaining ship that uh, is massive uh, and it's meant to be a rescue ship. Um, it, it's meant to be able to, to alleviate some of the pressure from starships um, from having to do this work. And so I wanted to ask both of you, one, what you thought of this idea of kind of creating a, a ship that doesn't really need a crew. Um, and at the same time, um, kind of the reactions of people within the book to this in the first place. I mean, I think the idea is interesting because, yeah, you're. It, it, let's just imagine there's a planet and something disastrous is happening and it's dangerous if a starship was coming to the planet and had, you know, now it's putting itself in danger. What if you had this recovery, pun intended, this recovery ship coming in and it's automated to the point that 
it can then transport the people into this large ship all at once. That was the other thing. It wasn't like multiple transports at a time, you know, a certain group, you know, and then another group. They could beam all of them at once to this ship. So it's really not a bad idea. I picture, though, if this ship was being sent to rescue a civilization, that there'd be other starships maybe nearby monitoring and watching things, but the ship is actually going more into the danger zone and bringing all these people on at once. So it's automated to do that. So I thought the concept works. I mean, that's a valid thing to me. It didn't get me excited, like, ooh, wow, what a cool ship idea. I'd love to see what this thing really looks like, though. You know, that's the one thing about novels is there's times I actually want to see a drawing or something of how the author really pictured the ship to look like. Yeah, agreed. I'm a very visual reader or visual in my head reader. So I'm like watching the movie in my head as I read. And I, I agree. I think it's a really interesting concept, a really cool concept, Um Especially, you know, with the scientists who are creating, it's uh, very humanitarian of them to want to not put our own people in danger just to rescue some other people. Um, <laughs> I feel like any time that you have something that is fully automated, something will always go wrong. So <laughs> right. I just, I just feel like this was not necessarily bound to fail. But I guess my thought would be that they should always have at least a skeleton crew on board to handle things that the ship can't. But I mean, I guess, you know, with the, you know, getting the people on board, being able to direct the people where they need to go, the automated sick bays, you know, those kind of things are good, but I just feel like not having like planning to not have any crew on that could be problematic. We saw that Dr. McCoy was very much needed, not even just to outwit the computer or anything, but to actually um, help, people you know they i feel like you just need that human touch and um so i i feel like even if they didn't feel like sending an entire starship crew into a situation like this even if it's dangerous that some people you know 10 people would be all it takes like if i got beamed up to a ship and i found out there was no other person who sent the ship on board i'd be freaking out yeah it's not like airlines where the captain could put on automatic pilot and they can all leave right you still have somebody yeah. there to kind of having to man it so yeah i did think of that too i remember thinking maybe they should at least have a small crew or something like to your point cuz you're right anytime something's automated like this something could possibly go wrong if we had a ship like this we should send it to afghanistan right now that would really be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it is kind of weird because, you know, and, and I love Kirk's whole reaction to this uh, and, and not being necessarily excited about the idea, which is, you know, he has experience with these type of things, you know, uh, M5, you know, he, he really is, he, he's not excited about the idea of, of this because he knows what can go wrong. And like you said, both of you said, why in the world would we be creating a ship like this in the first place that doesn't have any kind of crew? It, it doesn't, doesn't seem right. You know, like there's, there's just no way that this, Nothing about it makes sense to me, even in Star Trek. Especially you know? when we're seeing in the book that the it's headed towards Tholian space. I mean, the, mm -hmm. Dr. Shulman reprogrammed it, but they're worried about this ship getting into enemy hands. I mean, 
how easy and, and I know it's got superior shields and you know weaponry and all this high tech stuff that's not on any other ship, but I mean that's why they had these tests, I guess. But we're still seeing that like it's possible for the ship to be taken over by an enemy that you know to it, which would mm-hmm. give them the technology we don't want them to have. That's why I was thinking starships would accompany it but not go into the danger zone but be close by for that reason right Mm -hmm. if it's not manned at least have somebody nearby for it but yeah if it was just Mm -hmm. on its own that's that's crazy and and yeah and look what just happened in this story right what if kirk and mccoy weren't there to begin with who knows how this would have turned out yeah that's i mean it's a really good point and i think all of it just I think it's it's interesting because obviously the idea there's a solid foundation on altruistic nature, but just the practicality of it doesn't make sense. Um, and especially with the fact that it's been armed. I mean, it just this uh, no, you know, none of this is 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 a good idea. Uh, and so, and. I think the the part of this that was really fascinating to me was to see the way in which we've talked a little bit in the series about the militarization of Starfleet and Starfleet is actually using this as an opportunity to try and get people to and their neighbors, Klingons, Tholians and the Romulans to say, hey, this ship that we're creating is altruistic in nature and the desire is for us to be able to help um any of our friends that might need help too with this ship and and so um they're using this as a it's not even i didn't even think about this on the outline but it it's a way of you know crossing the aisle um it's a way of crossing the neutral zones uh, and to 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 reach a hand out to people and say, hey, you know, we we want to help you. Um, and I thought that was really an interesting thing. Um, although, again, we know this is going to go horribly wrong at the same time. <laughs> well, this type of ship is also offensive to Kirk. I mean, he doesn't mm-hmm. really come out and say that or anything, but I would just assume it would be because here's a man who's earthbound who says, I need to get into space. I want a ship. And yet we're now creating ships that don't need me. They don't need captains. They don't need people, you know? And it's like, he probably doesn't want this to succeed. I mean, Shulman even said that Kirk was kind of picking apart things and, you know, about this project when it was in development to begin with but you know what if all these ships were automated we wouldn't have a captain kirk he would be earthbound the whole time so yeah he he wouldn't mm-hmm. want to see this actually succeed anyway well and he's an explorer at, at heart too i mean so is everybody in starfleet supposedly and um you know yeah we go out on a rescue mission but there's there's always the human element. I like how you said that this type of ship is offensive to Kirk. Cause I mean, that, that is kind of his attitude at the beginning of this. It sounds like he really did pick it apart at the beginning, but at the same time, I got the impression that he was picking it apart, not to scrub the mission or anything, but really to, to say, Hey, like if, if you're, if you're going to send out an automated ship, then you need it to be able to think of things that are unexpected. And, you know, that's essentially what he does once he gets on the ship is 
he says, well, you know, this simulation is great and all, but let's, let's try something a little different. And even kicks himself later once people start dying after this um, simulation that he's altered now starts going bad. But it, well, one, it it's kind of proven very quickly that it, that would have happened anyways, because Shulman really, you know, under his duress, um, changed the programming anyway. But, you know, Kirk did need to prove that, you know, if, if an enemy ship came and attacked and did some kind of odd tactics that they weren't used to seeing that they couldn't plan for, you know, is the AI on this ship really going to be able to anticipate every outcome or are we going to send a ship to this planet beam up everybody and then the ship gets destroyed because you know some unforeseen circumstance comes up yeah i mean i think i I like what you're pointing out casey of of just the realities of what kirk sees and I, i think this is one of the things that you know i really appreciate about the book and that when the way um you know kirk kind of responds to this is the fact that you can't really i mean the idea is good and the and the reasons behind want, wanting to do it are great but in reality for what happens in space is is that you you can't program you know a non-sentient computer to be able to anticipate everything that's going to happen and and have it be able to respond correctly you know you need human ingenuity and instinctiveness and um problem solving ability and adaptability that you just can't get from a programmed computer you know and i think that's you know kirk um even though he might be kicking himself he does the right thing in the end because this shouldn't be loosed on of the galaxy like this is just a bad idea and a long sad history of bad ideas uh you know this is not this is not going to be helpful and so and on top of that i think to me the other really enjoyable part of the book was getting the opportunity to learn more about the tholians um obviously you know when this book is written we don't know very much about them at all and you know uh, getting to dive into what their species is like um, and uh, getting to follow up, of course, you know, which is always fun to do when you get to follow up um, on uh, an episode like the Leon Webb um, and connect it with that. This that was really fun here. And so I really enjoyed um, all of that. I thought that they did a good job. How How did this sit for you guys? I enjoyed the Tholians. It's kind of ironic that in the 24th century novels, the Tholians are playing a pretty big part, you know, just in Fallen Gods on the previous episode of Literary Treks. You know, the Tholians are a big part of that story, too. Um, yeah, and I, I, we knew so little about the Tholians going into this book, you know, from really just from that one episode. And it was neat to see. Um, some mystery around them in this, uh, you know, we get the, the triad or the three, the three, we keep hearing all these things. It's kind of a mystery. Like, what are we talking about? And even as, as we learn more about how recovery was reprogrammed with a, a tertiary instead of binary um, or trinary instead of binary or whatever they called it um, type of computer language. And then really getting the backstory of, you 
the Tholians who are involved in this story, and it's really kind of a revenge ploy against Kirk, and, and how their kind of family structure or their um, relationship, their the reproductive cycle, you know, the the three of the Tholians together, it's almost kind of reminiscent of the Andorians with the four sex type of species. Uh, it was really just neat getting to learn a little bit more about them without getting pounded over the head with, here's the entire history of the Tholian race, and we're going to learn everything we ever <laughs> needed to know about them. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I <laughs> yes. like, because, uh, I, you know, because I was thinking about it as I was reading it, this was in 95, so yeah, we didn't know that much about the Tholians then, and I thought, we've gotten more of Tholians in other novels and Star Trek Enterprise and uh, the comics and such. And I thought, like, this didn't really contradict anything. I mean, even, you know, was talking about them not really having genders or, you know, not, not really identifying what their genders are. And we saw that even in Star Trek Year 5 comics. And there's just a lot of things that it still works today to see how the Tholians were represented in this novel, that it still fits with other things we've gotten of Tholians. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed seeing the Tholians in in this book because we're so used to getting Romulans and Klingons and so many things, which we also got in this too, but the Tholians were truly the bad guys of this novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. Um, you know, I, I do really enjoy in a book where we can kind of create something that does feel different. You know, I think back to the appendices and the Lord of the Rings and they, you know, they talked about, um, you know, how they created the different races and the looks for them and, and, you know, how they, they went with shapes and stuff that would kind of give you visually immediately you would know, okay, so this is, um, in reference to, um, this race, um, you know, you know, um, from what somebody was wearing, um, that they were a dwarf or an elf or any of those kind of things. Um, and, and so much of that thought process goes into when you're creating an alien species like this and, and when you're wanting to differentiate them from others. And so to make them trinary, um, I thought was really fascinating. And it really, you know, it works so well to be able to um, set them apart from all of the other species, especially since, you know, everybody else we know in Starfleet and, and, and are in the quadrants at this point, um, they're, they're all binary in, in the sense of um, the way in which they, they deal with technology and just their thought process um, being more binary. I mean, obviously, would you call it quadrinary is was what we learned that the Andorians are. But by this point, you know, when this book is written, we didn't have that um, as, as as something that we knew. And so I think, you know, one of the things that they uh, that James Dillard really does here in the book is is really do a great job of setting apart um, the Tholians in a really interesting way. And like you both said, it's it doesn't take away or or like it it it, it's not going really deep um diving it just it's this one nice little thing that just sets them apart beautifully um and i I think it it's really cool and honestly just kind of wish made me wish that we got to spend more time with the tholians because i think that they really are an interesting race and 
um, you know, we, we've seen a little bit in the, the year five comics, you know, with bright eyes and stuff like that, but yeah, I would love to see more. So, um, this really, it, I mean, we've talked a little bit about it, but I mean, we're setting up the motion picture. That's kind of what we're going for here is, is to, uh, have the very next thing that we would, you know, as a Star Trek fan go into would, would be the motion picture. And so with that being the case and, and with that being exactly what they're hoping you'll feel, does it work? Did they do it? Yes, 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 yes. I thought it was excellent. I thought it was great. I even loved the last scene where Bones and Kirk actually reunite and it's very brief. You know, the Bones shows up with a bottle of brandy and his silhouettes there and is revealed to Kirk and that and I was like, oh, end the scene right there. And it did. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to hear them talk about, you know, their experiences and what they're trying to do. I just I like that right there because we know where that's gonna lead. And uh Kirk has all the confidence now that, you know, what he just did in this mission and how he saved lives and everything else that he's done, that he's got even more pull and he will get on the ship and he's telling you know, Sonak and others that, hey, come join me because I'm going to get a ship. I want the Enterprise. That's what I'm going for. But I'm going to get a ship regardless. And that again, he's identifying people through this book that he can take with him that we can just assume we're on the Enterprise in the motion picture with him. Yeah, I almost wish that with the, the Kirk and Sonak stuff, if they'd have taken it just a just closer to uh, that opening scene of motion picture where we see Kirk mm-hmm. headed to Nagura's office. I think just to, I mean, really just butt it right up so we can almost like walk right off the page from here and, and pop in the movie and see it. Um, I did like in, um, in the conversation at the end when, um, when Bones tells Kirk, you know, the only way they're going to get, get me back is to forcibly draft me, which is exactly what Kirk does in, or Nakura. Somebody does, yeah. you know, in the motion picture. Um, and I think, I guess if I had one wish as far as tying it together, um, as far as the Spock stuff is concerned is I almost wish that in some of those brief Spock scenes that we had, if, if he would have actually started feeling V'ger, but didn't know what it was, we didn't give it a name or anything, but just felt this presence that wasn't Kirk. It wasn't McCoy, but just something, some intelligence coming and just get, getting like brief glimpses of that. Um, I think that would have been kind of interesting just to further set up that maybe he'd been feeling that for a while. And just once we get to the motion picture, it was something that was, very strong at that point. Ooh, I like that. The novel could have ended with Spock and he just has that feeling of something alien and it just ends there. Yeah. yeah. I really like that, Casey. Um, I think that that would have been a fantastic place. Um, and I'm surprised that they didn't do that, you know, as the, like the final scene. Um, ah, man, goodness. I, I think that's, a that is definitely a missed opportunity to me. Uh, because it's it, put it this way, it's not like any of this is bad, right? Um, I I think this definitely leads into the motion picture almost perfectly, you know, and and that's what it's meant to do. I just think, wow, you've created a, that's a fantastic idea, and I think it would have worked really, really well. Um, Unless they were thinking they didn't want to do that in case they wanted to do another novel after this. Because you could fit another story in between the two. You could work that out. Yeah. 
which I, yeah, I could totally see, or even some more background on Spock during, you know, they, they could have done a whole nother novel just about Spock on Vulcan going through all this meeting mm-hmm. with the Vulcan high masters and everything and maybe yeah. getting those feelings in that point. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's true as well. Um, but I guess, I guess it's one of those things. It's like where we are, <laughs> they don't do that, you know? And so we end up just kind of missing out with a, a really cool opportunity, but all in all, I mean, I guess the the question really kind of becomes, um, what would you end up rating recovery? Um, you know, I had a good rating thought up. Now I can't remember what it was. I should have written it down. <laughs> um, I, I did rate this for, um, I would say four crazy scientists out of five, crazy maniacal, murderous scientists out of five. I, um, I, I think I was kind of wavering in in the three and a half range, but it just didn't feel good to. And Goodreads doesn't allow you to do half stars, and I didn't, I didn't feel good giving it a three. Um, just the characterizations in this book were so good. There were so many just well written moments in the book. Uh, you know, things we didn't even talk about, like the. There's just kind of a heartbreaking scene between Sarek and Spock, um, kind of their what what they thought would be their final meeting as father and son, um, when the first officer of one of the ships, um, I can't, the one that Kirk was on when when she died, it was just it was gruesome but uh, heartbreaking. Also, you know, just this person that was so um, into their duty, um, and there were so many moments from this book that just felt so original series to me. Just the way that Shulman was written reminded me of, uh, the doctor. Um, I can't remember which original series episode was where there was kind of that light thing that somehow Kirk didn't go insane from looking into, but the, the one scientist did totally escapes me. But, um, Shulman just totally reminded me, like I could, I could picture the original series in this and, um, that's kind of my favorite story is when I'm into the story, I can see it, see the setting and everything. So, you know, kind of after talking about it even more, I'm a pretty solid four stars on this. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you, Casey. Uh, I actually really enjoyed this book. Um, I thought it was really well done. Uh, and and I think the the thing that I really responded to was that it did feel Exactly like I want an original series book to feel. Uh, not only that, but I, th- I, I felt as though the promise of this book basically is that you're going to get to the point where you feel comfortable with diving right into the motion picture afterwards. And I, I 100% felt that, you know? And so I, I really liked this book. You know, I, I would... I'm not sure, Bruce, if you would agree, but I felt like that this was the best book of all of them. And so maybe they save the best for last. But I really responded well to this book. And, um, you know, and I, I, I guess the only thing I could say is I really do wish that all of the books had been this high of quality because I, I felt like... I got a great story about the characters and it filled in gaps that I, I I want to be filled in when it comes to this time period. And so, yeah, I really liked it. So, I, yeah, I would say this is the best 
of the four. As I'm thinking through it right now, I think as we go to each one, they get better and better. I think the last year's goes to a flag full of stars, which I think gets a little better. Then we go to Trader Winds, which I think gets even better. And then this one I felt was just as good as Trader Winds and maybe just even a little better. So, you know, when I was in that situation, like Casey's talking about, you got good reads. I was like four or three, four or three. I kept going back and forth between them. But the other books I gave three and because I was kind of on the fence, I went ahead and gave it a good reads of three, but it would be more like a three and a half for me. Um, getting maybe close to four as we're talking through it. So maybe I'm leaning more towards the four, but yeah, I'd give it three and a half. Kirk is picking apart the recovery in some manner out of five. Nice. Yeah. No, I, I can understand that because I, I thought about the same thing, Bruce. I waffled back and forth and, and I just kind of ended up where Casey was. I was like, well, on Goodreads, this is not a three book. So it's closer to a four and therefore I'll give it a four. It might be slightly generous, but I, I felt like this book earned my generosity. Uh, and part of that is, you know, some of the things we didn't actually talk about. I felt like all of the other characters that were created for this story that Kirk interacted with, the other captains and everything, were all fantastic. And Riley, um, we got and, a conclusion with yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. The, the conclusion with Riley was really good. And, and just kind of him, his whole arc from this entire series really came to a close very, very well. Um, and so, yeah, all of that I really enjoyed. So I, I can't. There's nothing I can really fault other than, you know, I I think that Casey did actually come up with an even better ending for the book than what we got. And so, you know, anytime I can kind of be like, oh, that was good, but I can see where it could have been even better, you know, th th that makes it, you know, an imperfect book. And that's OK. And, but of all of these books, like if you were only going to read one of them, I would absolutely say you know, you don't even have to have necessarily read the others to enjoy this. That's the other thing that I think uh, sets it apart. So I agree. That's a good point. Well, I think this is a good conclusion, obviously, to the last year's books. And uh, I enjoyed going back and rereading these. I remember at the time that I read these, I didn't think that highly of them and probably the same now. But I think I didn't realize how much recovery was such a good novel but yeah i give the whole series about a th a strong three out of five for the whole series yeah having not having read them in a while i would probably agree but just from what i remember and from having listened to you guys i would say that i i feel like the this was a good um stepping stone almost for the kind of multi-novel arcs that they've had throughout the years and uh, i'm glad that they've continued that tradition me too. Me too. Um, you know, and I, I think, you know, as we talked about where we are with, you know, Star Trek books at the beginning, you know, with what was in the news, I find myself more and more interested as to what they're going to do. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of on the edge of my seat for that, you know, with then the lit verse ending, um, where do they go? You know, is it only going to be books, you know, with in, in the Picard series and in Discovery, maybe Strange New Worlds, I guess. But otherwise, I mean, I guess that really feels like it only leads 
leaves books within the series for them to be able to play with. And I don't know. I'm really, I, I, I guess my question would be, Hey, I would love for you, uh, to catch up with us on the Babel conference, um, and, uh, under this episode. And I, that's a, my question for you. What are you looking for coming up here with, you know, Trek lit? Um, and are, are you excited about the fact that, you know, they don't have basically free reign anymore. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really interested to hear that from the fans. So yeah, catch up with us. Um, Casey, if people would like to catch up with you one, thank you so much for being here. It was really fun to have you. And, and I'm, you know, definitely want to have you back because it's always good to have a new voice. Where can people find you if they want to catch up with you? Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And yeah, I would love to come back. I'm just plowing my way through the books now. So I mean, <laughs> I, I've, I've realized I can read books pretty quickly now. So. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I'm uh, pretty much most anywhere, really uh, Twitter, Instagram and letterboxed at Knitting Trekkie. I'm also on Goodreads. Uh, I'm in the, the uh, literary treks group there. And uh, I'm kind of poking around in the Babel conference from time to time, mostly uh, just lurking, but occasionally commenting. I do those same kind of things too. I lurk and sometimes comment. Yeah. But yeah, you can find me. I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And I also do a podcast with Dan Gunther called Positively Trek and uh, where we do books, comics, TV shows, whatever, all kinds of stuff. And then uh, what else? Oh, Star Wars Report. Whenever Riley tells me we're going to record, which I never know when that's going to be. I'm still waiting for the phone call. <laughs> you know, that just uh, uh, reminded me, too, that I just didn't even plug my own other podcast that I'm on. My co-hosts would kill me. <laughs> I, that's too late now. I, nope, nope. Can't. Oh, it, no. No, okay. no. <laughs> <laughs> Darn. Next time. Uh, no, I, I actually uh, am on a podcast called Mickey's Marvels with my friends Chris Trebuzio and Pat Devlin, and we discuss pretty much anything under the Disney umbrella, which uh, occasionally nice. includes new Star Wars and uh, Marvel things. So, yeah, lots of fun. Fantastic. Uh, well, of course, you know, I'm all over the place uh, on social media. If you're lurking in social media, which I don't know why you would be these days, but if that's the case, find me at MattRushing02 on pretty much all the platforms. Uh, here on the network, of course, doing so many different things, uh, one being the 602 Club. We just hit 350 episodes officially, so check that out. Of course, we've got shows in that feed as well uh, that you can check out, like Snyder Cuts or Assembling Avengers starting. Uh, it started this week, so check that out as well with John Mills as we're walking through all of the Marvel films again kind of giving them uh you know the uh the fair shake in the sense of how do they hold up now that we're not surrounded by hype machines uh you could also uh find me doing the orb as well as warp five the orb with chris jones talk about star trek deep space nine warp five we're walking through every single episode of enterprise celebrating 20 years of that show and then of course on the nerd party network doing two shows one is called owl post did that with drea kaufman it's a finished show um, so you can check out the whole thing every single chapter of the harry potter series one chapter at a time and then aggressive negotiations with john mills as we talk about star wars every week but thank you so much for joining us and until next time live long and read on you call that light reading 
to each his own, number one. 